Yo, what up, guys? Episode 89 of the DLSS Podcast. Damn, that's almost close to 100 episodes, and it's all because of you guys, the loyal listeners. So thank you guys so much for being here. I'm your host, D-Love. Of course, we're going to get into all the action from the fights that went down last night from the UFC Apex, UFC Fight Night. Rob Font pretty much jabbing himself into title contention, taking out Cody No Love in a five-round unanimous decision. Carla Esparza basically putting herself next as far as the next fighter to contend for the UFC strawweight title against Rose Nama Yunus, which is a very interesting storyline going back full circle all the way back from the ultimate fighter days with Carlos Barza being the first inaugural strawweight champion with a win over Rose Nama Yunus. So we're going to get into that. A bunch of other fun fights on the card. Ben Rothwell gets back in the win column. Justin Taffa versus Jared Vander was a bloodbath and lots of other fun stuff to get into. So we're going to go down the fight card here. Oh yeah. And also Paul Felder of the Irish Dragon did officially announce his retirement on that card as well. So, so long to Paul Felder as far as inside the UFC Octagon action, which is kind of bittersweet because, man, he is one hell of a fighter, tough as nails, phenomenal Muay Thai striker, and just, uh, you know, a good guy all around. So, amazing career. Happy to see him go out and have other options and other endeavors, other irons in the fire that he's tending to and being able to have that after-fighting career. So, I'm happy for him in that way. But as a fan, I'm obviously, you know, selfishly a little disappointed that I don't get to see him compete one more time under the bright lights of the UFC. But, unfortunately, that's the way it goes, and he's one of the good ones that leaves before his, you know, he's on his back looking up at the lights with no other options. So, I'm happy for him in that way. Lots of stuff to get into. We're basically just going to go over everything from last night's card. Might touch on one or two other things going on in the combat sports world in general, but for the most part, we're just going to keep it short and sweet and get you guys in and out of here. I will be back next week. There are no official fights happening Memorial Day weekend for the UFC, so we're just going to be talking about what's going on more generally in the combat sports world. Obviously, we have some fights to look ahead to in the following weeks. Jarzinho Rosenstrike is taking on Augustus Sakai in the main event of the following weekend's fight night card. And then after that, we got UFC 263 which is stacked we got nate diaz versus leon edwards on that card and then a double dose of title fights at the top davison figueredo versus brandon marino in the rematch for the, and the co-main event flyweight title championship matchup and then in the main event israel adesanya is taking on marvin vittori for the middleweight strap so all sorts of action-packed episodes coming your way the next few weeks but this one and everyone in fact is brought to you by dave decorsi and the decorsi group if you guys need to take any cash out of the equity of your home or if you need to get a loan in order to purchase a home Please do support the people that support the podcast by going to www.thedecorsigroup.com. That's T-H-E-D-E-C-O-U-R-C-Y group.com. And please do let them know that you heard of them from the DLSS podcast, and it really does help us out a lot. And lastly, a special shout-out to everyone who's been supporting me by purchasing batches of the turmeric tonic. Man, it is completely and utterly humbling to uh, feel the support from you guys. So thank you guys so much. It's They're flying off the shelves. I can barely keep up. And it's just amazing to hear all the incredible feedback from everybody about how, how many benefits everybody's receiving. So, again, it's, it's extremely humbling, and I cannot thank you guys enough. It's, it means the world to me, and it's literally how I've been surviving over the last year for the most part. That and then the small contribution from uh, Dave DeCourcy and the DeCourcy Group for doing the podcast has really been allowing me to do what I love and what I'm passionate about and in order to bring you guys the healthy benefits of the tonic as well as support myself so again thank you guys so much for that I, I can't thank you enough and switching back over to the fight card you guys remember last episode when I was saying uh, I hope the dogs are barking because you know I picked a bunch of underdogs and it, I was really hoping for it to come through and snag a, a good amount of points this week now I'm not going to officially go through all the points for the predictions challenge recap because I haven't been really doing that over the last few weeks and I don't want to just cherry pick the card when I did well but I am pretty pumped about it because a lot 
of those dogs came through. I picked four and three came through, and the one that didn't come through was because Yancey Medeiros versus uh, his opponent, Dvorak, uh, or Hadzovic, rather, uh, got scrapped. I think one of Hadzovic's cornermen uh, tested positive for COVID. Not 100% sure, but the fight got scrapped last minute. So the only one underdog pick that I didn't uh, get was the one that just didn't happen. So I'm stoked on that. Got a good amount of points this weekend. A couple more weeks like that, man. I'm chipping away. I'll be right up in there. I told you it's a long year, Jose, so watch out, brother. I keep telling you, I'm coming for you. But starting at the bottom, Rafael Alves drops the decision to Demir Ismagulov. Uh, Ismagulov improving to 23-1 and overall. Now 4-0 in the UFC, so um, I'm not, and now I'm really excited to see who they put him up against uh, next. Someone, you know, more well-known. Someone at a, a step up in competition. So, uh, Demir Ismagulov, look out for this guy. And then David Dvorak ends up getting a submission win. Uh, first round, 2 minutes, 18 seconds over uh, Ronderos, who was a last-minute replacement. He was literally, like, flew in on Thursday night. Wasn't even able to make the weight. Came in a little over and then, uh, you know, got submitted in the first round. So, hopefully he can get a full fight camp. And uh, I believe he fights... This is flyweight, so it's the smallest men's weight division. So, uh, you know, we got to come in and make weight. Hopefully he gets a full camp next time. We'll see if he can have a better performance. And moving up, this one was interesting because Joshua Calibau, as I talked about before, I felt like his veteran savvy and his more like veteran in terms of his USC experience would be able to pull him through this fight. His composure, his game plan, and ability to thwart off the, the wrestling of Shai Yalan was what it took. He knew it was going to be tough early, and Shai Yalan, Kind of a one-trick pony in some cases. You know, for the most part, he's a high-level mixed martial artist. But when it comes to the UFC, this is different. This is another level. So, Shyalan drops his UFC debut. Three-round decision goes to Joshua Calabau. So, good for him. And workman-like performance. And that actually wants me to jump up real quick to the Court McGee versus the Claudio Silva fight. Because it was very similar in that sense that Court McGee knew exactly what he needed to do. He knew where his strengths were. He knew that Claudio Silva was the kind of guy that was going to continue to come forward at him. He didn't intend necessarily on wrestling as much but with, he said in his post fight Claudio Silva likes to come forward and he, he's not, not like these other guys that say that and then when they get Court's pressure to start to back up. No, Claudio kept coming forward, kept presenting that double leg to McGee, and there was a couple, you know, strong strikes that Silva landed, kind of desperation mode when he realized he wasn't going to be able to get Court to the ground and secure a submission like he wanted to. And aside from those, Court made it look workmanlike, made it look very uh, not easy, but you know, he definitely knew what he was doing and he put it himself in all the right positions in order to grind out that decision victory. Very dominant performance down the stretch for Court McGee. So congrats to him. That one went the full three rounds but one that didn't go the full three rounds skipping back one fight Bruno Silva versus Victor Rodriguez man I don't even know I have to take a look at the stats here but I don't even know if Victor Rodriguez landed even one strike Bruno Silva came out there had a pretty uh, heavy exchange uh, overhand right kind of by the, the ear a little bit they got into a clinch situation um, Silva landed a devastating knee I believe it was kind of off the chest and also grazed the chin putting a uh, Victor on notice right away, but uh, the very next exchange, yes, zero strikes landed by Victor Rodriguez in this bout. The very next, uh, I guess they only accredited Silva officially for the, oh no, okay, six strikes total. My bad, I'm going all over the place. But Bruno Silva, overhand right, uh, just kind of behind the ears, stuns him a little bit, grabs a clinch, throws the knee, cracks him, and then Victor Rodriguez decides to keep coming forward in the very next exchange. Bruno Silva 
tosses out a feeler jab and then cracks him with a straight right that puts Rodriguez down. That was all she wrote. I spent more time talking about that fight than it actually took to complete itself. So that was an exciting finish for Bruno Silva. He's looking, he's definitely looking like he's putting it all together. He's under the tutelage of Eddie Cha, the same striking coach that Henry Cejudo got uh, his most, you know, his last few fights before his quote-unquote retirement. Really seemed like he was putting together his uh, striking really well under the same striking coach of Eddie Cha. Bruno Silva comes in with a great grappling pedigree and submission prowess so for him to be putting his hands together like that I think he's really going to be uh, someone to pay attention to in this flyweight division skipping up though now Ben Rothwell versus Chris Barnett Barnett's UFC debut came off the regional scene like I said he was an exciting like entertaining fighter as far as his style as far as his you know antics as far as his personality but 5'9 at heavyweight was just not going to be able to cut it against Ben big Ben Rothwell coming in having to cut to get to 265 just kept coming forward took some of Barnett's clean shots but landed a lot of good ones of his own that left hook right uppercut is always a strong combination for Ben Rothwell especially against a smaller opponent that tends to dip his head he ended up rocking Barnett several different times with that same strike landed a bunch of um, knees and a bunch of kicks just throughout the course of the fight ended up getting a submission guillotine his kind of 10 finger choke modified to a guillotine when they start to roll in the second round Ben Rothwell takes out the UFC debuter Chris Barnett he did say in his post fight interview you know I'm not done I gotta make sure to remind everybody that there's levels you come into the UFC off the regional scene that I gotta show you that there's a difference and he wanted to make sure to make a statement by putting away his opponent and he most certainly did opening up the main card Jack Manson versus Edmund Shabazian. Woo! Rubbing my eye, my head right now, like, like, phew, like, totally was sweating during this fight. Um, it went down exactly as I said it would, but I was really nervous for that earlier part of the fight. That first round, Edmund Shabazian came out. He looked actually, to, to my eye, a little bit bigger. Maybe it was just his upper body and range, but uh, his length, but he looked a little bit bigger than uh, Jack, in my opinion, and he was landing a lot of clean, heavy strikes early in the first round, uh, like I was worried about, but I thought Jack was going to be able to do what he did at the beginning of the second round a lot easier in the fight, and meaning the smaller cage I thought was going to allow him to cut off Shabazian, get him up against the fence, upper body grappling, and then eventually get him to the ground. Well, that first round was all Shabazian. Made me double-think my pick, thinking that, uh, you know, that threat of the distant striking and that power and that good technique, devastating strikes by Shabazian, might have not allowed, because you got to go through a wood chipper, essentially, to get on the inside to get him up against the fence in order for Jack to do what I knew he was going to be successful at. So I was really worried that that wood chipper was just going to be too much and that Jack wasn't going to be able to get through it because he did take a lot of clean strikes in that first round. However, mentally, he looked like he was staying poised. He kind of looked like similar to the Court McGee or the uh, Calabar fight, like they knew that this was going to be what the beginning of the fight was going to look like. And as long as they you know stayed the course, was persistent, stayed safe, and got through it, that they were going to be able to come on later in the fight, and boy did he. The second round was all Jack Hermanson. The third round was as well for the most part. He took a few hard strikes, but got it to the ground almost immediately in both rounds. I think he had like over 10 minutes of control time from top position, and at the very end of the fight, Shabazian looked to be fading, and Jack Hermanson finally got the mount, and I thought he was actually going to finish it, you know, in the last seconds of the fight, but he didn't. Shabazian was able to stay safe and get through it, and so Jack Hermanson ends up getting a unanimous decision victory over Edmund Shabazin. Jack the Joker, man. I love this guy. Good for him. And I noticed he's got a tattoo of the name Nora on the inside of, I believe, his right arm. So, I mean, just one more reason for me to have to go with the Joker. And it was tough. I was nervous, but he pulled it out. So good for him. The next one, not 
not didn't pull it out, didn't go as I expected, actually kind of did, but didn't end up having the tide turn like the Hermanson-Shabazian uh, fight did. Bill Algeo versus Ricardo Hamos. Hamos ends up being able to secure eight takedowns throughout the fight. He ends up just, you know, mo- like wet blanketing Algeo. Algeo's got great submission defense, but his wrestling defense in order to not get taken down just didn't seem to be there. Again, like I said in the in my uh, picks breakdown of the fight last week last episode Algeo does get taken down once every single fight at least so far in his UFC uh, career so I was really concerned that you know maybe early Hamos could slap on a submission but um, the submission defense was there for Algeo but the wrestling takedown defense wasn't he just ended up getting taken down every single round didn't end up being able to you know execute very much of his offense because he couldn't uh, collect the distance in order to do so he did land some nice little tight elbows some knees in the clinch you know during the grappling exchanges he held his own but for the most part he was on the defensive and he wasn't able to get off enough to to sway the judges so uh Hikaru Hamos ends up coming away with unanimous decision victory over Bill Algeo congratulations to him I was really concerned because not concerned my one of my honestly up to this point on my picks I got every single one right and I was like okay this is just going to keep going as I expected I was you know I I saw this card at least correct this week well Bill Algeo was coming in at featherweight where Hikaru Hamos was coming up from bantamweight so I thought Algeo putting on that fight of the night performance with Ricardo Lamas in his debut and having a couple tough tests so far in his UFC career that he was going to be able to walk through Ramos but Ramos has obviously gotten better he's progressed and then that weight cut must have been taking something out of him because up at featherweight uh, Ramos seemed you know not considerably small he didn't seem noticeably small in there and uh, was able to you know be strong enough and uh, able to you know contest in the wrestling department which I you know is one of those things that can be a deficit if you're outside. So he seems to be able to to do that well in that at that weight class, and that was a surprise to me. So again, belaboring the point, but congratulations to Ricardo Hamas on that decision victory. Moving up, Norma Dumont, one of those underdogs that came through. This one did go as I expected, and I said it in the last uh, episode that if Felicia Spencer was not able to secure those takedowns, um, you know, she likes to move around on the feet and, and kind of make her opponent think that this is going to be a striking affair in order to set up those takedowns. She's not just like a one-trick pony and, you know, diving in recklessly from the far outside for, for again, Spencer, sorry, I'm kind of going all over the place, but if you look at the stats, she's not the best, like, at distance or, like, traditional takedown threat. It's kind of upper body up against the fence, some sort of scramble. Um, she's not even credited with too many takedowns throughout her UFC career. So I just knew that if she, even though both these ladies have high grappling and wrestling uh, pedigree, that if they weren't able to get each other down or if Spencer wasn't able to get each other down with Dumont having the striking advantage, I felt like this was going to be one of those where two wrestling or wrestling heavy at least style fighters kind of cancel each other out and ended up having most of the fight take place on the feet 68 to 47 uh spencer was outstruck by norma dumont dumont had the more powerful more crisp boxing combinations um spencer held her own though she's got a taekwondo kind of style long leg kicks uh kind of some hook kicks some scorpion kicks i mean she landed one to the face of dumont like don't get me wrong she's able to utilize that style of striking pretty well um for her style but overall uh dumont was just going to be too much out there in the striking in the in the center of the cage and uh, spencer 
had some success. There was some crazy scrambles, and there was some times that she was on top. But for the most part, Dumont was able to scramble out, get back to her feet, and keep it a distant striking affair. Ended up securing one of her own takedowns, in fact, in the fight. Uh, it did go split decision. One judge had it for Spencer. Two judges had it for Dumont. But Norma Dumont, the underdog, pulls through. So congratulations to her because she took out someone that went the full five rounds with Amanda Nunez, the full three rounds with Chris Cyborg, and submitted um, Megan Anderson on the 145-pound division. There's a little bit of a storyline with Dumont wanting to go back down to, uh, or sorry, wanting to go down to 135 and even moving to Vegas using the PI in order to help her try to do that healthily. But when you come into a pretty, you know, not very deep division like featherweight and you take out someone like Spencer who's kind of got a history with the other you know, two, three, four top fighters in the division, then you got to try to use that momentum to kind of skip the line. And again, it's not a very long line as it is and see what you can do with this featherweight division. Um, So Norma Dumont will be, I'll be interested to see where she goes from here. If she does go back down to, if she does go down to bantamweight and is able to make that cut well, she's going to be strong and big, not necessarily tall, but big and strong for that weight class. So I'm sure she'll have success there as well, but Congratulations to Norman Dumont on a pretty damn dominant performance, in my opinion. And then moving on to the bloodbath. Yeah, this is the one that ended up being fight of the night. Also the one that I ended up switching to my fight of the night before the card started. So I just I ended up having very uh, a keen eye on this particular card. I knew this fight was going to be crazy. However, if you listen to last week's episode or the Wednesday episode, I said... I wanted to test the MMA guys and test fate and say that there is no way that this fight goes to the judge's decision. And it ended up going the full three rounds. 121 strikes landed by Vandera to Justin Taffa, 74. Taffa is a dog, and he just kept coming even though he was outmatched. He kept getting – it's kind of one of those things where Taffa had less less variety in the strikes that he could offer, and he had a, a height and reach disadvantage as well. And although he did cut Vandera really bad, which is where all the blood came from on the head in one of the exchanges up against the fence, Vandera was able to mix it up with kicks, punches, knees, elbows, uh, and just had a little bit of a size advantage over Taffa at length especially. So um, – you know, down the stretch, Taffa did seem to be coming on. He's a warrior. He's a he's a born fighter. Landed a couple hard uh, left hands on Vandera, but Vandera just you know just ate him and just kept coming forward. And so this fight was really exciting to watch. Did go all three rounds. Uh, didn't end up getting too sloppy towards the end, which is typical of a heavyweight fight that goes the to the decision. So you know you just got more to love in this fight instead of it being heavy breathing and uh, you know completely unexciting and anticlimactic. So underwhelming to say the least this wasn't great job to both guys ended up securing the extra 50 g's in the fight of the night and getting me an extra point for that one so thanks again and congrats to jared vander on a good performance over a pretty well-known name and we'll see who they put him up against next and speaking of 50 g's another person who won a performance of the night bonus was none other than carla esparza in the co-main event against yang shangnan absolute total domination five strikes landed by Jaunan to 27 landed by Carla ends up getting a TKO in the second round it was plus 1450 odds in order for Carla Esparza to get a TKO finish in this fight so someone cast a pretty uh, hefty ticket on that one Carla Esparza man I don't know why I don't give her the same credit as like a Jorge Masvidal or one of these fighters that's just taking a long time to kind of progress their career and develop like a fine wine I mean I was saying that 
uh, about Rob Font in the main event, which I'll get into after this. But you know, she's just one of those fighters that started out, you know, and I don't, I don't want to say that the the game has evolved and passed her by, but it seemed like you know it was evolving at a high rapid pace, and so she continued to keep her head down and work and focus on her skills and a, and a workmanlike grindier performance, kind of like Dustin Poirier, you know, long road fight everyone she has to on the entire way up and, you know, take her time to make sure that she's progressing and ends up like, if you guys don't know the history with this, she was the very first ever strawweight champion, the inaugural tough champ. She ended up beating none other than the current strawweight champ, Rose Namajunas, for the title all the way back in the day when she beat her in the finale of the Ultimate Fighter. So the storyline writes itself. And, you know, I went with Zhang Zhanan. She was the other pick that I got wrong on this card. However, I was happy for Carla, man. She's, you know, we have that connection with knowing Ashley. And, uh, you know, Carla, the cookie monster, is just always just, like I said, kept her head down and just worked hard. And it's cool to see her string now five wins in a row together. Uh, it's interesting because Jean-Anne went out there and made a, a, tor- a terrible fight IQ mistake. I mean, there was no language barrier. There was no language problem where they didn't understand what Carla's game plan was. They even addressed it in the pre-fight, you know, film package. So the that... Jiang Zhanan to go out there and overextend and try to just take Asparza's head off right off the bat was just poor fight IQ, poor game planning. Asparza did exactly what she needed to secure the top position. She stayed heavy on top. She did just enough to wear out Jan in the first round and not um, get stood up so that when she started in the second round, Zhang uh, was completely exhausted. Carla was able to progress to the uh, crucifix position and landed some devastating elbows, busted up Yawn, like caused some real damage from that position, which, um, uh, you know, not very, not, not necessarily just women and not necessarily just lightweight fighters, but some people, they secure the top position and they have a lot of elements of control, but they're just not doing a whole lot with it. And this, that was not the case for Esparza. Once she secured that dominant position, she opened up Jean-Anne with those elbows and she just went to town, got the fight stopped. Uh, let me see. I'm trying to check the time real quick. Doesn't really matter. But anyways, yeah, second round TKO finish for Carla Esparza and she completes that full circle to where now she gets to go and face someone she's already got a win over who's definitely evolved throughout the years as well. Rose Doug Rose Namajunas is, you know, in my opinion, the best strawweight champion that there's ever been. Carla has the ability to go out there and show how much she's improved over the years and that she's, you know, a dominant force to be reckoned with. It's going to be interesting because it's obviously going to be another grappler versus striker kind of matchup stylistically. And we know Rose Namajunas has a very high-level jiu-jitsu, especially likes, uh, likes to submit people, and she likes, you know, she's not, uh, not too shabby off her back. But uh, Carla Esparza, man, she's... Uh, it's it's kind of hard to make that comparison to someone like a Khabib, of course, but you know it's it's one of those situations where you know what to expect, you know what she's going to come out and try to do. But at least the last five fighters were even not even with that knowledge was not able to stop it. So uh, it's just really intriguing, and I'm excited to see that matchup next. Obviously, uh, Zhang Weili versus Rose has been a conversation of potential rematch, and I think. Uh, that this just allows for more parity, allows Carla to come up there. And what the, like I said, the story writes itself. So uh, I really expect this fight to get made, and I'm really excited to see it go down. So congratulations to Carla Esparzan on a dominant performance and securing that next title shot. And someone else who isn't too far from a title shot himself, Rob Font, the winner of our main event, 19-4 and four overall. Slow but sure, he's progressed over the course of his career. You know, uh, he's 19-4, and four, so he's you know not undefeated by any stretch. But this guy came out and put 
on a striking clinic, the self-proclaimed best jab in MMA. I even you know, made sure to note of his jab in the last episode because it is something underutilized in combat sports, and in particular in MMA. And it's you know there's, is, there's a lot of different dynamics to the striking in MMA, don't get me wrong. And the forearms, gloves, and, and Cody No Love in particular with his speed, the ability to counter over top of the jab uh, is something to, to definitely consider. But Rob Font, man, he went out there and with – persistence, volume, footwork, effective striking, and overall just pressure uh, was able to thwart off the takedowns that came from Cody. Like I was saying earlier, he he didn't mix it up a good amount, and he was trying to make sure that he was attacking from all different areas and not just the predictable boxer striker that he normally is. And it was definitely a, a competitive fight, although the judges did have it. Three, two of the three judges had all five rounds for Rob, and then one of the three judges ended up giving one of the rounds to Cody. Um, and I, I, I tend to agree with that scorecard, but it was uh, there was a couple points in the fight, as I alluded to earlier, that Rob said that Cody uh, cracked him pretty hard. So Cody is dangerous down the stretch. It was very apparent that he was trying to keep himself composed. He was trying to stay uh, unemotional and not... You know, get that wide-eyed Cody that just likes to flip a coin and bang. And there were a couple points in that fight where I felt like, um, you know, although it is definitely more dangerous and it's risky, but he was losing uh, to the point where he was just getting picked apart and that length and everything that Rob was doing was uh, so effective that I felt like he needed to do something Cody did in order to mix things up, in order to make Rob have to earn some sort of respect for Cody's striking, even though, you know, maybe Rob just has an excellent poker face because after the fight he did say that he cracked him a few times really good. Uh, But overall, Rob Font just did what he had to do as far as stick behind the jab, not get into a brawl, stay on the outside, hold the center of the cage. He even ended up securing two of three takedowns himself while uh, defending seven of ten from Cody. Cody secured three of his own but wasn't able to do much, as I was talking about earlier, as far as like effective damage from the top. Um, But it was back and forth. It was exciting. There was a lot of, like I said, it was more of a striker's delight. Last week I was saying that the the co-main event I thought could have potentially been fight of the night ended up being uh, the Tafa versus Jandera. But, yeah, the um, I felt like the main event was just going to be a striker's delight. The commentary agreed with me, and they were just, you know, it was just fun to watch. It was exciting. And Cody, man, he, he, he did a good job staying composed. He did a good job getting through the fight, not getting so frustrated to the point where he became reckless um, and overextended himself and getting finished. But he just wasn't able to secure those takedowns. And a lot of people did talk about his bout with COVID and how that could have affected his cardio. And I just think that someone that tries to switch up their style this late in their career to uh, – include a lot more grappling um, does so in a way that doesn't necessarily consider the fact that they're not just straight grappling they haven't been doing just straight wrestling like they were previous in their lives and the cardio is different in MMA Justin Gaethje and a few other fighters as I've mentioned talk about they're worried about grappling because they know it gets them tired as fuck. And when you're extremely tired in a fight, you become more vulnerable. Your defense is the first thing to go. And it just it's something that you have to kind of mix in uh, very cautiously or very uh, consciously think about how you're um, – how you're using up your gas tank in a different way when you're grappling. And if you're going to have a grappling-heavy game plan and you haven't really been doing that throughout the course of your career, um, it's going to be different. And a five-round fight, I felt like by the third round even, with Rob Font's ability to stop the takedowns and continue to scramble, get back up to his feet, Cody was exhausted. And that just continued to open him up for more punishment. If you saw a picture of him afterwards when he went on Instagram Live, yeah, the right side of his face is all bust. He's got an extremely fat lip. And, you know, I, I'm I'm proud of him for sticking to his game plan. But I think he, you know, at, the, at a certain point in the fight, if you think 
you know, you've lost four rounds out of five and you just kind of got to go for it, which he seemed to come on later in the fight when he started to take on a little bit of that mentality. Um, you know, you got to do something at that point. And, and I felt like if he did it a little bit earlier, maybe he potentially could have changed the course of the fight. But almost 50% landed on Rob Fonts in 176 out of 365 significant strikes, 183 out of 374 total. And then Cody Nolove landed at a 44% clip, 63 of 142 significant strikes, and 78 of 159. So uh, overall, Rob Fonts' volume and his ability to just keep coming forward, stick behind that jab, you know, got him the victory. Very educated performance, very patient. And, you know, he's already number three, Rob Vaughn is, in the in the, in the the division. Cody Nar- Garbrandt is number four. And then you got TJ facing Coy Sandhagen in his return fight back to the division. And then you got Aljo uh, facing, or he's actually out right now because he just had neck surgery. And so you have an interesting situation at the top where we know we're waiting on the Peter Yan-Aljo rematch. And then Corey and TJ are fighting, like I just said. So Rob Font sitting at number three already. He's just going to sit back and wait to see how the division shakes out. He said he's down to take the winner of either of those fights. But, you know, he's he's just basically sitting pretty now and gets to heal up, continue to train, continue to get ready. But either way, he's secured himself. Like, maybe one more fight, and then after that, a title shot. And over his, like, seven-year career in the UFC, he's strung four fights together recently. I mean, check out these last four fights. Sergio Pettis, Ricky Simone, Marlon Moraes, and now Cody Garbrandt. And, his, uh, you know, he, he took out Marlon Moraes in the first round as well. So it's just one of those things where he gets to, like I said, just kind of position himself to wait to see how the division shakes out while enjoying this win and continuing to improve. And, uh, you know, I'm just really happy for the guy, uh, the leader of the New England cartel, gets it done. So congrats to Rob Font on a dominant performance and really securing his place up there at the top. But that wraps up the recap for UFC Fight Night Font versus Garbrandt. Before we let you go, i got a couple more things real quick. Did you guys see this? The For, I guess, only sixth time in modern boxing history, we've had a unified champion, in this case the junior welterweight champion, 140 pounds, uh, for Josh Taylor, who took on Jose Ramirez last night. And uh, it was a back-and-forth fight. Towards the beginning of the fight, Ramirez had a good amount of pressure. Uh, Taylor was able to knock him down in both the sixth and seventh round and kind of uh, from that point took over the fight. Uh, but again, Ramirez towards the end was definitely pushing the pace and trying to uh, finish off Taylor and trying to do what he could to secure, uh, to hold on to his belt, but he ultimately lost it. So Josh Taylor is now the uh, unified junior welterweight champion. And even recently, I think in a post-fight interview, was, I don't know if it was in the ring or afterwards, talking about going up and facing, uh, I believe, Errol Spence at 147. But then if you guys were paying attention you would have realized that over the weekend they also announced Manny Pacquiao was coming back to fight Errol Spence Jr. Uh, I can't I gotta look up the date right now but that's an interesting ma- uh, matchup and then someone I can't remember but somebody in the boxing community came out and was basically saying Manny Pacquiao out here fighting the toughest fights while Floyd Mayweather's out here fighting a YouTuber so that's pretty funny uh, and you know potentially playing on Floyd's ego to maybe see if he can come back and fight Manny if Manny gets through uh, Spence Let's see, Errol Spence, Manny Pacquiao. That's going to be an awesome fight, guys. This is one of the fights in boxing that you don't normally see. You don't normally see the quote-unquote best fight the best, especially when there's someone like a Manny Pacquiao who's got a lot more to lose in this case. And so it's really cool to see him go out there and actually... Okay, so August 21st in Las Vegas, Nevada. So I'm really excited about this. I just wanted to kind of bring it up because we will be talking about it and maybe even including our picks for this fight. But, um, yeah, Manny, Manny Pacquiao versus Errol Spence, uh, August 21st. And, uh, you know, it's it's one of those good um, 
marketing plays where you go out there and you call out somebody that's already booked uh, so that you can kind of get the equity but not have to follow through, at least not right away. So we'll see. We'll see what happens. Josh Taylor, congratulations on unifying the titles, becoming an undisputed junior welterweight champ. And, yeah, I just wanted to touch on that real quick. If you guys are interested, hopefully you had a chance to catch it. So, if not, just go check it out. And then, lastly, before we let you go for the week, I wanted to share the good news, which is apparently Diego Sanchez has separated and cut ties, all professional ties, with Joshua Fabia. Put out a press release for it, which is good, you know, trying to clean up that image. Maybe somebody will – I don't doubt the UFC, but maybe somebody will sign him and he can have a couple more fights, you know, and if that's what he wants to do, of course. But it was a bit concerning because if you heard – I mean, one of the things that came out in the press release was that um, he had actually given power of attorney to Fabia, which is not even something that a manager normally has over their fighters. So it just adds to the, like, bizarreness of this whole situation and just makes it even that much more relieving that apparently they're, you know, he's cutting ties and separating, getting himself away from Fabia. I hope that that's the case. This isn't just an image thing and Fabia's still back there, you know, pulling strings or I don't even know, but... You know, professionally is the only thing I'm concerned about. He's a grown man. He can do whatever he wants in his personal life. But happy to hear this news. And I just, I, you know, I want the best for the guy, obviously. First ballot Hall of Famer, in my opinion. And he's just a warrior. So I just, I want the best for him. And some of that shit was getting awful concerning. Um, and it's just, you know, unfortunate because the relationship with the UFC, as I said, that bridge has been burned. And so I just feel like, you know, contrast that with, like, for instance, Paul Felder and his retirement and how he's been able to secure obviously Diego Sanchez is not going to be a broadcaster, but you know, there's just other opportunities and other doors that can open to you by maintaining a good relationship with, uh, especially some, someone as powerful as, as that organization, given how much you have sacrificed for them. Like, you know, they can't quite do the Chuck Liddell retirement plan like they did in the, in the past, but you know, it's just always going to be better in the end uh, for someone like himself to have not gone to war, so to speak with that, with that, you know, billion dollar company with someone like Dana White who holds grudges as the president. So uh, ultimately, this is just good news. And I, I hope everything works out for Diego. And again, if he wants to fight, if that's what he's interested in doing, hopefully we can see him out there and, and making some money for his family and uh, doing what he loves to do. But either way, some good news on the Joshua Fabio Diego Sanchez front. But that's it. That does it for this week's installment of the D-Love Special Sauce Podcast. Hope you guys liked the show. If you did, go over to Apple and iTunes. Give us a five-star rating and a positive review. While you're there, turn the notification bell on. That way you're on top of all the most current content. And if you're already supporting a small independent podcast, please do check out and support all the small businesses that support us just like you guys by listening every week. We got Monique Taylor with Strong Women Designs. We got Dream Loud Collections, my girl Nora, custom handmade jewelry. Check her out. OC Party Rentals, Paint Bay, The Journey of a Modern Day Painter, Upper Glass Tent, Eating Buttery Pancakes is getting people shredded. Vargas Auto Spa, California Shirt Smith. Check out Justin for some custom print works. Blake Builder and the Builder System. Mac Noodles Hibachi Chef. Ricardo with Neighborhood Auto Care. Socks Meals. Angie Snyder. And of course, he loves Tumor Tonic. But last and not least, MMT Fitness. Make sure to check them out on Instagram. Make sure to go out and check out the gym. Exit Avery Parkway off the 5 Freeway. The first class is always free. Tell them the DLSS Podcast Center. But that does it for this week, guys. Until next week. Week, same time and same place. Enjoy the fights.